Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Authors, I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with editing extraordinaire Jess Gately, and we chat repeat structural editing errors, story structure, character progression, self-editing tips, first drafts, and much more. So in my author adventure this week, not a whole lot has happened in my writing business because we have officially moved house and uh, I am in my car recording this on my phone uh, because I've been staying at my parents' house this week with the children. Husband has been up at the house mainly (laughs) enjoying his last days of isolation before we set off all together for a long time. In, in our caravan so uh, if you hear birdsong or all sorts of stuff um, I don't have my usual equipment that I'm recording through so apologies if there's any difference there. Now, I also have a bit of a, a cough thing going on so I'm a bit hoarse but yeah if you, you listen you're a regular listener at the podcast you know like I continue it and uh, some some occasions I've been on holiday and I've been recording in my car or I've been somewhere else so I think that all adds to the fun of it you know where am I this week I was recording one time from the caravan bathroom toilet and so here I am today at the side of the road <laughs> back in the car outside by my performance folks house as i said moved move all the caravan plans uh is is going ahead i'm very very happy i feel like phase two has happened uh you know vacating the house phase one was obviously selling it and that was a lot of work phase two packing up and actually getting it ready for the people to move in has been a huge amount of work and i thank everyone that's uh helped us and it's just it's really whole consuming every day is that there's not been much time for uh anything else but i'm about to have a lot of more time to put into my author business which I'm really really excited about so just getting through each of these days so phase three so phase three which we'll be undertaking today we get our caravan back it's been in getting some bike racks put on it and then I've got the fun job of all the stuff that we've got at my mum's which we've taken over her whole front room is uh yeah we've got to go through it and pack the caravan and get ready and then we set off tomorrow on our first adventure it's at this point it's winging it everything that we booked up north I can't remember if I spoke about this on the podcast last week we have changed direction because uh, of flooding up there and there's just been a cyclone that's come through there so it's you know it's kind of getting pounded up there (laughs) weather wise so we're looking at possibly going diagonal across Australia rather than straight or up and round because of weather so I'll keep you posted on the route we end up taking and um, as I said I'll be still podcasting on the road and hopefully I'm I'm find some local authors in local areas and and really 
uh, bring to life where where we're traveling to so that will be fun and as always i will continue to share my author adventure as it progresses you know and it will start progressing again so i'm quite excited about that thank you to everybody who has reached out and has read author fears and how to overcome them that book is is slowly starting to make its way out into the world into libraries and other readers hands and it's very exciting for people to get in touch and i've had some reviewers as well so yeah that's wonderful So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at www.buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author. Let's all support each other. Deskately is a freelance publishing professional specializing in speculative fiction. She primarily works as a structural editor and holds a Master of Arts in professional writing and publishing. She is a tutor at Curtin University, the president of Editors WA, a branch of the Institute of Professional Editors, sits on the board for the Small Press Network of Australia, and has worked for a number of literary organizations and publishers. She has been a judge for the Aurelius Award since 2019, and her master's thesis explored the process of editing a work of speculative fiction that utilizes fictional languages. Jess is passionate about working with emerging Australian writers and editors. Mind-blowing bio, Jess. Welcome to the (laughs) Hybrid Author Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're absolutely honoured that you could join us today. And clearly you have a passion for the industry. But can you tell us, you know, how did you, with your expertise, mesh it all together to offer editing and mentoring and, you know, photography services for authors? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a wild ride to get here. I originally started off wanting to be a writer and that's, I had been doing that all my life, all through childhood. And so when I went to uni, I decided to do a minor in writing. And at the time, like this is going back sort of, oh gosh, far too long ago now. But there there weren't as many opportunities for emerging writers at the time. And so a group of my friends and I created our own online zine called Underground Writers as a place to be like, we, we didn't feel confident submitting to, you know, your Westerlies and Griffith reviews. And so we had this little zine that was just meant to be a bit of a nothing thing. And that is where... I first got a taste for editing and fell in love with it and adored it. And But for a long time, didn't realize that that was something I could actually really do as a career, especially in Australia, where publishing feels so small. But then, you know, went about life for quite some time and then decided that, no, I was, I was really passionate about this and wanted to do it. And so went back to uni, did my master's in professional writing and publishing and focused very heavily on editing and then launched out into the world as a freelancer, which was very exciting, <laughs> terrifying, but fun. And yeah, just over time have been very, very lucky and very privileged to have been offered a, a huge range of opportunities and experiences that have just melded together into this weird hot luck of things that I now do. <laughs> it's great though because it is almost like a a one sort of like a one-stop shop for writers per se you know when they're they're stepping out and uh and I, I haven't seen anybody else sort of offering what you do in in the one place so I yeah I mean I've 
it, I think it's just a weird that the way I first stepped into publishing was actually through a marketing role. And so I got that marketing background and that experience. And I have been a hobbyist photographer for a long time. My dad was a professional cameraman and photographer for a part of his life. So he had taught me a lot about cameras and then was working one day and, and being asked to take photos of some authors um, for a publisher as part of my role with them. And somebody was sort of like, oh, you should, you should do this professionally. And I was sort of like, okay. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just been like, yeah. And, and then, sorry, like the social media came in because the marketing background and the, the photography came in because that was a, a hobby. And then all of a sudden I was like, but the thing I was originally planning to do was be an editor. And so I just kind of curated this little package of author services for things that I felt confident that I could offer relatively well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's incredible. It sounds like, you know, it's all come together in that way. And we'll definitely touch on the services later. But today's topic is editing for authors. Yes. So, you know, when you receive manuscripts from clientele authors, is there things for each manuscript that you see like repeat offenders, kind of the same things in different levels of editing, not just say grammar and stuff. I think I'm a comma splice offender. Um, <laughs> even to do with like story and structure and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, as I said in my bio, I'm primarily a structural editor. So I look very heavily at, at story. Um, and I think uh, some of the biggest problems that we see with story is the the saggy middle, which I think a lot of people have heard of. But it's, it's essentially a lack of narrative drive through the middle of the story. So we have this really engaging, fun, interesting beginning, and we have this awesome climax. And then there's just this kind of lull through the middle. So that's that I spend a lot of time working with authors to to fix up that little middle bit. And the other one I see a lot of is character characters that don't have a huge amount of growth. They already are like particularly with main characters, they're already perfect in the beginning and they have flaws that aren't really flaws you know it's like oh they're a little bit clumsy or oh they have a little bit of a temper but they never really seem to lose their temper at any moment that makes sense <laughs> that they would lose it <laughs> and so i i spend a lot of time working with authors on their character arcs and sort of saying it's okay for your character to not be immensely likable all the time like we are human and we we aren't always likable. We do things sometimes that annoy the people around us. And your character is allowed to be like that too. So there's a, I think the two big structural ones I see. And then the other one, and this is because I work primarily in speculative fiction, is info dumping and excessive detail, like repeating the same things and not trusting the readers to understand what you're trying to say. So yeah, those are, I think those are the three big things that I probably see quite a lot in the manuscripts I read. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's it's so hard, I think, especially for, you know, emerging writers and authors who, who maybe don't have the experience or know how, but that's obviously where your job comes in and you steer them right. And <laughs> yes. is it different? It's obviously different. Is it just speculative? Do you take other manuscripts as well or just mainly that's what you focus on, speculative fiction? I, I have worked on some other manuscripts. I don't tend to as much anymore because I think it's really important to know your strengths as an editor and for writers to know your strengths as an editor. So I read a lot of speculative fiction. It's my favorite genre. I know the tropes. I know the expectations in that genre because I've I've read it all my life. Whereas something like historical fiction or contemporary fiction, I really enjoy reading those genres, but I don't read them as much. Going into working on those with an author and not knowing 
all the tropes. Like, yeah, I could, I can still give a decent edit on something like that, but I would feel much more comfortable working on something that I know incredibly well and in a genre that I know incredibly well. So these days I'm more likely to refer somebody onwards to one of my colleagues who works very specifically with those genres. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's good. And I think that that happens a lot with a lot of editors. We have the spaces that we're very comfortable to work in and we would rather refer somebody on to somebody else who has more experience than us in that space Yeah, rather than give you a a half-assed edit. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But obviously before we come to you as emerging authors and things like that, Mm. our work has to be, I would say, of a specific standard, at least readable readable (laughs) for you um, and not a first draft. But uh, so that comes down to self-editing from our side before obviously handing over to a professional editor, which we always recommend. Obviously going down the traditional publishing route, you have that team in place already. but yeah, independently publishing. What are some of your tips for authors who are self-editing their work before sending it on to a professional editor? Yeah, great question. So I, I guess the thing to keep in mind is that when you come to an editor, they, it, they're going to focus on the most glaring things that they can see wrong. So making sure that anything you already know is wrong is fixed. Uh, and that can be as simple as something like your grammar and spelling. Because even if you've gone to a structural editor and that's not their job, that is something they're going to pick up and look at and go, hey, you could probably use some work on this. Um, And you don't want their focus to be there, especially if you already know that that's not your best. So I I always recommend a minimum of three edits when you're self-editing before you go to an editor. And of course, this this is very generalized because some people edit as they go and some people do it in some people write linearly, some people write in bits and bobs all over the place um, and write scenes across the manuscript in weird places. So I guess it's more like three processes rather than three edits. And the first one of those is your first draft is usually about discovering the story and you get to the end of it, no matter how you've written it, and you have finally figured out what that story actually is. And by that point, most people that I've met know that they've got to go back and put things in and take things out and scrub up a few things. So that is the first edit, is doing all that stuff that you've you've kind of in the back of your mind now gone, oh, this is what this story is about. I need to go and put these things in. Then leave it. Leave it for at least a month, if not two or three, and then come back to it. And the second edit is starting to go into sort of the structural things that I would look at as an editor, but doing it for yourself. So looking at your character arcs, looking at your tension, going, does do my chapters make sense where they're broken? And the, the problem I see for a lot of people is that because they have this idea that they have to leave their chapter on a cliffhanger, which isn't necessarily always the case, but they, they chop their scenes in half and you end the chapter right midway through the action to get this this cliffhanger ending and then the next chapter starts right in the same place and it's sort of like that's that's actually not how chapters are structured so going back and and tidying up those sorts of things for yourself and going how is my story structured how are my characters progressing and leaving a breadcrumb of trails for your readers and making sure that a, a satisfying ending is one that the leader by the time the reader gets to it they've almost kind of expected it. Even with a twist ending, they should be going, oh my God, that's an amazing twist. How did I not see that coming? <laughs> not, oh, that's weird. Like, I, I <laughs> yeah. didn't expect Who's that. Who's that person? <laughs> yeah, right? 
<laughs> so it's it's leaving that trail of breadcrumbs and 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 really tightening up your story in that second edit. That is doing a structural edit for yourself, I guess. And then the third edit is going back to those grammar and punctuation things that I was saying in the beginning, like you want to have all that stuff tidied up, even if you know that you're going to have to go back and rewrite sections based on what your editor says, you still want them to be focused on the story and and on the real issues, not the stuff that you know that you can fix up yourself. That's the three processes I would say anybody should go through before they even consider going to Mm an editor and as much as possible I recommend leaving a good couple of months between each of those phases because what I tend to find is that when people do leave that couple of months they actually go through that second process two or three times and the same with the third process of going back and looking at their grammar and their spelling and and their words like the words they're choosing and the sentence structures they're choosing they go back through and go oh actually there's a better way I can say this Mm, mm. no Um, that yeah, that's amazing advice there. Absolutely spot on. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess my final piece of advice, which is something I come across a lot, is people going, well, I know I need to cut my word count, but I don't really know how. And it's sort of like some people I know need to lose twenty to 50,000 words off their manuscript to bring it down to what is sort of what would be considered traditionally standard for that genre. Mm. Um, and most of them start looking at it in terms of, oh, what scenes can I cut? What chapters can I cut? Because those are nice big chunks of text. But what you start to get then is you lose that story and you lose really important details by trying to find stuff to cut that way. So what I recommend is that if you're finding your manuscript is over the word count and you need to find ways to cut it down is actually to break that word count down chapter by chapter. So if you've got 20,000 words you need to lose across 15 chapters, I think that's a little over, it's about 1,200 words that you need to lose per chapter. Hmm. So then if you're only going, okay, in this chapter, I need to find 12,000 words that I need to cut. What you start to do is go down to a sentence level and go, how can I make this sentence tighter? How can I make this paragraph tighter? Am I repeating information? And what you end up then with is a much tighter manuscript and a much better flowing manuscript rather than losing big chunks of story yeah are you better off sort of when you're doing that focusing on like descriptive words like I, I, I'd probably be a, a, a repeat offender for multiple adjectives in a row so stuff like that rather yeah. than losing chunks of story but more how you're describing things I suppose is a way to get yeah. rid of that yeah. absolutely and and even things like where, and this is, I guess, what I was saying um, earlier when you said, what are some repeat things that I see quite frequently is people over explaining things. So going, oh, you know, she was fiddling with her fingers. She was nervous. Well, the the fiddling with the fingers yeah. is obvious that nice. she's nervous. You can cut it <laughs> and make yeah. that a whole lot tighter. So yeah, that's that's definitely like thinking about adjectives, thinking about double descriptions, all that sort of stuff is a great way to bring that word count down without having to cut massive chunks of story. Yeah. What about I'm I'm someone who is needs to flesh out more. I never have too much. I always have too little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I feel like I wonder whether I would try and bulk it up with that sort of stuff. (laughs) I think actually the better way to go is if you find that your story is too short is to look at where you've left threads of characters. And, and again, to look at 
where can I just insert little things that round out these characters and round out these stories? And again, like I work in fantasy and sci-fi, so a, a lot of people tend to round that out with some some extra world building. It's very rarely in the fantasy sci-fi that you need to add words, though. Normally, we're pulling yeah. words out of that genre. Uh, <laughs> well, it's the minimum word count for that. Is it something like a hundred thousand? Uh, it, it's more acceptable to have to be on the higher end in fantasy and sci-fi, but even these days, especially because YA speculative fiction is so popular, you're still really looking at ninety thousand words, yeah. which it, it's a lot to fit in uh, a whole story and the world building and the character development into that into that 90,000 but if you do it well yeah uh, it's it's amazing so yeah I think probably with that genre do you think that's what that is about like people like to be immersed in that world that's why it is such a a thick genre Um, and other things that have sort of come into mind is I had recently had some feedback for something I'd written and uh, it was I guess the characters were just they were going into a museum type of thing and it was going to the ticket area things like that they were saying like stuff like that could be chopped but I read some some things and I I I get it but like you know the character goes about her day or something like that and then she's got the shower she's got to make something and I guess she is going out the door I I like to see them going about their day I I don't know (laughs) it doesn't have to be go 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 all the time like yeah look I think I think that's something that literary fiction spends a lot more time doing is that very gradual sort of building of this is what this person looks like in their day-to-day life. And they spend time getting their cup of tea and reading the paper. (laughs) And that's all stuff that gets left out of a lot of what we call genre fiction, which Mm. I have issues with those terminologies anyway. Yeah. But for the sake of ease, literary fiction does that a lot more. And I think because literary fiction has become very popular, particularly in Australia, there is a lot more room for that. But I also think, you know, that the what you were saying about, you know, the world building and being immersed in that world and everything, really good world building uh, allows us to fill in the blanks ourselves without us actually having to be told. So you get given a, a couple of snippets of information and you kind of go, okay, cool, like, I I get this. And I think this is where, and this is something I end up working with on a lot of my authors, is that they give us these snips of information that make us think we're in a place that we're not. And then all of a sudden there's dragons flying over and you're like, oh, I thought we were in, you know, contemporary Europe, but now there's a dragon. Okay, cool. We're actually in medieval Europe or I I thought we were in a a sci-fi futuristic setting and now there's a dragon. Okay, cool. And that's happening a lot because like the blending of sci-fi and fantasy is incredibly popular at the moment. Mm. But setting up that expectation right from the very, yeah, it's incredibly difficult to do because when you're told that you're in a forest and that people are walking around with horses and carts, your mind immediately goes medieval. And then all of a sudden somebody walks out with a blaster and you're like, well, hang on a second. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so trying to melt that is is an incredibly difficult thing and I think that's where that's where having that tightness in your writing becomes really important is because you need to make room for those things to happen mm, yeah um, and and for that plot and that tension to still be pushing forward without slowing the reader down yeah it's details that they can fill in themselves really yeah, so obviously at the beginning of a work, a reader has to know what they're going to expect in the world they're in. So if there is going to be some sort of dragon or some sort of, it, all that has to be shown immediately. Do you think um, in terms of, say, characters and stuff, whoever is going to be 
in it that is main has to be shown from the beginning like there's not a main character can kind of appear midpoint I think it uh, yeah it always depends because if it's done well it can always work well George R.R. R. Martin, I suppose. Yeah, I, absolutely. Perfect example. Like, he introduces these characters that you think are just random side characters and then as yeah. the story goes on, but they become more and more important. And we see that quite a lot in a lot of speculative fiction because it is so sprawling. We don't see it as much in, in contemporary fiction or crime fiction like we normally have our main character up front. But it, it's always that thing of if it's done well and if it's done convincingly, Um, And if that's something that's really important to happen, that it happens that way, then that is what we as editors help you do is, is go, okay, what's the best way to make this feel natural if it doesn't already, if you haven't quite nailed it. But I I, I don't necessarily think it's a rule that they have to be upfront. It helps. (laughs) (laughs) But also then, like, if you have a sprawling cast and you introduce 14 characters right off the bat, it's really confusing as a reader to figure out who all these people are. Yeah, names and stuff like that as well. Their <laughs> names, their relationships to each other, why they're important in the yeah. first place. Like, that can be really confusing. So sometimes introducing them bit by bit is, especially yeah. with a sprawling cast, is way better. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That is awesome there. And do you feel like I feel editing is never done? (laughs) If you can, so you you know, you mentioned before your three sort of editing processes before bringing the manuscript to yourself and then it undergoes so much more and then we kind of get it out into the world or, but I feel like you could probably pick that up and and read it again and as an author and think, it could just keep going. Do you agree? Like the editing process is never done. It could go in this direction or that direction, or you could just never leave poking it alone. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and I guess this is this is something you learn a bit more with experience. Is that at some point you do just have to let it lie. But the truth is, is that a story is never finished, and that's not just because the author or the editor or the publisher is not finished with it. It's because it then goes into the hands of readers, and every reader brings with them their own background, their own knowledge, their own preconceptions about how the world works and how they expect this story to play out. And they bring all that with them and that's how they interpret it. And so every single person that picks up that book is going to have a different journey with it. Then then you get into the world of adaptations. And I, I always <laughs> find the discussion around adaptations really interesting because everyone's like, oh, well, it's, it's either faithful or it's not faithful. And I sort of think, well, you know, whoever wrote that adaptation wrote it because some part of it resonated with them and the adaptation they've made is is faithful to what they took away from that particular Mm. work and I think that's where the idea of faithful and unfaithful tend to clash because some people resonate with it with that particular aspect and some people don't so in that sense yeah no storytelling in general and it never changes and never ends and as editors that's part of our job is to know when when to let let, let do- sleeping go, yeah. dogs die, lie, <laughs> not die. <laughs> oh, I don't know why it makes me feel sad to to think that, you know, like a storytelling sort of never done. And I guess in my mind, I'm like, I suppose it's done when you're like, I can't look at the damn thing anymore. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> I've edited till I'm sick to death. <laughs> yeah, look, and until your, your publisher turns around and goes, you know, like, we've got to get this off to the, the printer now, like time yeah. to be done. <laughs> yeah and then probably just wouldn't <laughs> look at it again but yeah. I know a lot of authors that don't look at it again beyond 
what they have to do for readings as promotion. Like they have a couple of flagged things. That they're like, this is what I read and I don't read my manuscript anymore because I'm <laughs> sick of it. Yeah, that's it. Especially because yeah, you've got to go back and be with it for so so long. So yeah, it gets like that. Well, please tell us, you know, more about your services that you offer um, in terms of editorial and obviously photography and, and the memberships <laughs> as well. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, I, so the first thing I always ask everybody when they like inquire anything with me for, well, for anything really is what your goals are. Because I think, especially when you don't have a whole lot of knowledge about the industry, it's easy to think that what you need is one thing and actually what you need is another. So the first thing I do with any inquiry is ask about their goals, whether that's for publication or for professional growth or whatever. So if they're coming to me for editing, the, the more important thing to know is, are they planning to traditionally or self-publish? If you are traditionally publishing, I very rarely recommend an actual edit. I recommend a manuscript assessment because, as we've already said, when you traditionally publish, you go through that whole process with the team of editors at the publishing house. Um, so a manuscript assessment is a cheaper and much more valuable service to you. In the past, I, I've had a few publisher critiques and each one had something different to say, even in a year's space. And I, I had one say it was set in the US I think they were like oh wouldn't wouldn't you have it set in Australia and I think I sent spent like a year writing it to see if it fitted in Australia you know it just didn't but then the following year when I had it assessed again by another publisher and they said something completely different and then I thought oh you're going to do it differently and you're going to do it differently and they're all going to do it differently is that the same do you think with editorial as well absolutely yeah at the, at the end of the day like this is a subjective process it, it is it is based on our own preconceptions. And as editors, the best way we can manage that is to be across the industry. So part of my job at, for, if, for being a good editor is that I judge the Aurealis Awards because that is that gives me a really good overview of what's being published in the industry in sci-fi and fantasy and what the expectations are around that genre and what the things are that are trending that everybody's interested in and the writing styles that are that are being published at the moment. Having said that, th this is where it comes back to my original question of the, that I ask authors of what is your goals? Because if you're not aiming to be traditionally published, you, there is a lot of freedom there to go, well, I don't actually have to fit any of the trends and I don't have to try and make this fit any of the trends. Whereas if you're traditionally publishing, I might be a little bit, I don't want to say heavy handed, but maybe a little bit more suggestive yeah. of, hey, were you aware that this is a really popular thing in the industry at the moment and you kind of sit on the cusp of it and if you just lean into it a bit more, mm -hmm. you might have a bit more luck with being published. Whereas uh, I, I, for the most, editors will never work with anything that's not already there or they shouldn't. We're, <laughs> we're there to help you build on the story you've already built, not to make you write a new story. So the, the concept of somebody saying to you, hey, why isn't this set in Australia is like really grinding to me because I'm sort of like, that's, <laughs> that's not what we do. <laughs> that's well, that, not what we should be doing. Yeah, well, that was a publisher, not an editor. But, uh, um... And that, that then becomes another thing altogether is like publishing is a business and they need yeah. to make money. And so they're going to recommend for you to do things based on what they think will sell, which once you're working with an editorial team in a publishing house, that's where some of those more difficult clashes happen in terms of what you have to fight for and what you have to let go. But when you're self-publishing, which is the majority of the people I work with, there's a lot of freedom to that and it's really good fun. And as an editor, it's great fun as well because we just get to build on what's already there without having to shoehorn it in any way. Yeah. So 
three main types of editing. There is structural editing, which we've talked a lot about because that's what I do. And that's all your big picture story stuff. Then there is copy editing, which is what most people consider to be editing. And that is <laughs> your, your sentence structures and your grammar and your punctuation and all that sort of fun stuff that I do copy editing. I don't do it as much. And then there is proofreading, which a lot of people come asking for proofreading when actually what they want is a copy edit. And proofreading is something that happens after your manuscript has gone to design. So we're looking at typeset pages, the way that they're going to be printed. And the the process of proofreading is, you know, checking that your contents pages are all correct, checking that the page numbers are all correct, that your headers and margins all match, that the design itself, that the font doesn't randomly change halfway through. So that proofreading process while we check the text for any any typos that have slipped in through that process as well, is much more about a design process than it is mm. about the grammar and punctuation, which is what most people think it is. Yeah, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> yeah, most people do. Like most people don't realize that we have that delineation in in the editing profession. So I, I I do copy editing and proofreading, but not as much as I do structural editing, just because I really enjoy structural editing. And <laughs> again, that's when you're looking for an editor, a really good thing to know is what what types of editing do they offer for one? And number two, what what genres do they work with? And I will not be the right editor for a lot of people, but I will be the right editor for a, a good chunk of people as well. That's kind of the break. So I make sure that we're that I'm like that whoever comes to me for editing services knows exactly which one of those they want and what they're going to get out of that process. And that's, that's editing. Like that's my, my editing services. Um, There's also beta reading. I don't do as much of it mainly because I charge for beta reading. And there's obviously a lot of people out there that do that free of charge and that's fine that they give great feedback as well. But because I am a professional editor, I, I do charge for that service. And then, as we said, I, I also run workshops and mentoring. So my workshops, I have three that currently run. One is on building your author platform, which is about your online presence and building a community around you and how to do that effectively without biting into your writing time. Mm-hmm. I do a self-assess your manuscript, which is all that process of self-editing we were talking about and giving people the tools to to do that self-editing process and then the submit successfully workshop which is about how do you find the right publisher for your manuscript and how do you get it in front of them and give yourself the best chance of actually being picked up and then I'm hoping to launch another two workshops later this year one is on writing speculative fiction so addressing some of those issues that we see very specifically in that genre and another one on grammar punctuation and style for fiction writers. So things like how do you use dialogue tags correctly and what is a comma splice and how to avoid it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had so much red pens in uni. <laughs> I was like, oh, what is this thing? <laughs> oh, you know what? Like before I studied editing though, I was a serial comma offender as well. Like it's it's one of those things I don't think anybody really understands how to use commas correctly until they're like sat down and taught them. And even then they're still confusing. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I use them as much and now I seem to overuse them, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the last one is the mentoring. So that is three hours of face-to-face time plus review of up to 10,000 words. But that one is really more about you tell me what you want to know or what you want to learn and I do it with you. And you can break down that three hours into whatever segments of time you want. And some people use that just as an accountability service. It's like, I've put money behind this and therefore I need to produce something. Yeah. 
Um, and my job is to help keep them on track and to to sort of be like, you're going to submit this to me in this many months' time. And, you know, just that's that. It's an easy accountability service. Others use it to ask me for business and professional advice and how to do how to build their own business or how to um, market themselves. And other people use it as a mini mini editing service to brush up on their skills and to ask for help with specific grammar things. So that mentoring service really is very much tailored to whoever the person is and whatever it is that they want to learn. And yeah, those are my, and then there's obviously the photography service, which is it's photography. I have a couple of different mm-hmm. length packages. And then the yeah. aim of that is that we come out with some very comfortable looking and, and nice professional headshots that you can use in your marketing rather than just using a selfie off your iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. Well, those are amazing services you offer. That all sounds absolutely incredible. I have to ask, obviously you started out writing are you still writing are you writing any works of speculative fiction yourself (laughs) you're too busy with everyone else's stuff (laughs) I've been on a bit of a hiatus from my own writing I wrote prolifically during the pandemic which I think a lot of people did I think it was just an easy way for us all to to disengage from some of the less pleasant parts of that time but I, I took a bit of a break and I've been busy with everybody else's stuff, letting some of that stuff sink in and just starting to ease back into it this year, going back to my writing group and spending a bit more time with them as well and have taken on some accountability things. So like I have two people at the moment that every month message me and they're like, so did you do any writing? And I'm like, (laughs) ah, yes, (laughs) maybe. So yeah, no, I am I am getting back into my writing as well, but um, it's a it's a slow and and I'm trying to just do it more for the enjoyment because I realised I got to a certain stage where I was so focused on trying to get stuff published that I had taken the enjoyment out of my own writing process and that's writing has always been a joy for me and I don't want to lose that and so I just needed to take a step away for a while and now come back to it and write without that expectation. No Uh, I I absolutely resonate with you there I I feel (laughs) I've felt that the last few weeks and it's it it is like that you can get so wrapped up in the whole publishing thing and and then you know and you can get a few rejections I had one recently and it can just sort of drag you down and wholeheartedly agree (laughs) like to to go and just I, I actually um, woke up in the morning and I had an idea for something and I, I just sort of wrote it in notes on my phone because I was lying in bed and I just I, you know it was a thought oh it could be this and it thought oh the publisher would probably and I was like just leave that for what it was it was a little little what would probably have been a picture book or something nah, just leave it you know like enjoy yeah. that <laughs> yeah absolutely and I'm I'm finding it really freeing and that same process like happens in my head of oh what is this about what's the themes oh actually I, I actually don't need to write with a theme in mind I can just yeah I could just write something because it's a little bit of fun and yeah. it doesn't have to be serious it can be totally nothing I've got like I think I wrote like 2,000 words of a story that was going absolutely nowhere, but I had so much fun. Right, that's the main thing. Is it even harder for you, though, to switch off like your editorial brain, even with like when you're reading even and writing? Are you just constant? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I review books professionally as well. So number one, finding the time to read for leisure is really difficult, but then actually switching off during that process. And like, I know that we say, we say to writers, read critically, you know, when you're enjoying a book, sit there and pull it apart and go, what is it about this that I love? Because I want to I want to write like this. But at some point you need to switch that off. And I'm I'm still 
trying to figure out how to do that well. But I think I often still, especially with a book, I'm really enjoying it. I do switch off and I can look back at it afterwards. But it, especially if I'm not particularly enjoying a book. Yeah, that that's when the critical side of me comes <laughs> yeah. in. Why? Go, why? Oh. Yeah, why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's funny. I have to say I found editing as well. I've noticed a lot about my process in the last years and it used to almost be not a procrastination but I would write a few words and then go back and be reading them and it would just take so long like like that and now and I find it really hard I've got to just no just keep going keep going with the writing don't look back don't look back because I'd find yeah. I definitely I'd probably spend a lot of time you know the next day it would be the writing session and I go back and read or probably end up editing that same part again so I probably had a really well edited front part of the novel and <laughs> the rest was probably not as good <laughs> Um, so yeah, I've found that as a barrier in the past, but I have, when you shared your processes before, I have sort of honed in now to be more, get the story down, go back and fill it out. And then I, I tend to do what I call like a scene edit. So going through and then making sure all the scenes are right. If the, all the characters are, um, acting the way that I sort of want them to and, and how, how does each scene sort of make people feel before going on to look at the language in the all the other stuff so now the editing process is a a whole other process (laughs) (laughs) I mean your process sounds very logical to me like I think because I have the editor's brain I'm like yeah you take care of the big picture stuff first and then you go down but I I know a lot of authors that I'm very good friends with who they edit as they go and they're constant and it takes them you know 10 times longer to get a finished manuscript but that first draft that's actually their 20th draft because they've revised so much of it as they're going. Wow. Um, it is very tidy and very neat and that just works better for their brain process. So, but like yeah. I think, it, <laughs> you know, writing is, is one of those uniquely individual things where it, even if the end product looks very similar, the way you get there is so mm. much your own journey. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's come from many years of practicing, like taking um, years to write certain manuscripts. And it's been more because I've been focused on the language and the tightness and the neatness of it all. And I think I should have been more focused on the story and the characters from the beginning. And I can see these manuscripts from the past. What I was saying before, I I can't even, I've spent so much time on them. I can't even face going back there right now. (laughs) But they deserve to, they deserve another look um, because I've spent so much bloody time on them. Yeah, so now I'm just no for for fastness. Yeah, because yeah. I, I would love to do this as a career, but the, at the rate I'm going, I'm not going to earn very much. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be quicker. So, um, but not at the expense of the quality of the work or anything. So, trying to find a, a more efficient, better process <laughs> going forward. I think it, I think it's really interesting as well that you say like you look back at your old stuff and you cringe because uh, I, I remember seeing um, Neil Gaiman when he came to Perth um, and somebody asked him the question of what's the favorite one of your books you've written and he said ah every time I get asked that question it doesn't matter where in my career I am the quest like the answer is always the next one right because I think I might get the next one right oh wow and I was just like oh my god even Neil Gaiman thinks he's getting it wrong (laughs) I know there's hope for us yet (laughs) I was like if Neil Gaiman thinks that his best work is wrong then we're all okay I think (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. I do. I do like when established authors sort of open up about all sorts of stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, and all these feelings and this inadequacy. I'm on the right track. Like even they <laughs> feel it too. You know, <laughs> it's all yeah, it's all crazy. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for your time and expertise. It's been absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, can you tell our listeners where they can discover you and everything that you offer on and offline? Well, online, online. <laughs> All of it. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. I uh, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful to talk to you. If people are looking for me, my website is jjgately.com. I always feel like I have to spell out my name because <laughs> otherwise it gets spelled wrong 99% of the time. I am most active on Instagram and TikTok uh, where my handle is at jess underscore gately. And on Instagram, there's an extra underscore there because for some reason, somebody already had Jess Gately with an underscore. <laughs> um, and then I am around on the other socials, but I'm not as active on them. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Mastodon. Um, don't expect to see much from me there. But if that's where you prefer to contact me, feel yeah. free to buzz me through there. I still get notified. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Jess. That was incredible. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. Some amazing insights into editing with the fabulous Jess Gately. Go check out her services if you're in the market. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have award-winning crime author Ellie Marnie, and she's chatting to us on hybrid authorship and writing crime. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it from me. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you are further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.